0: Hello and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the one and only podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry every single week, with very few exceptions. I think we did forty-nine episodes of a fifty-two week year last year, or in our first year of existence. Anyway, I'm Nick Axelrod (laughs) Welk,
1: and I'm Annie Creekbaum. I'm not counting; it's not a competition.
0: No, it's not a competition. But if it were a competition, next week. We have a very exciting tete-a-tete, I guess you could call it, with the OGs of the beauty podcasting space, the phenomenal women of breaking beauty. A
1: moniker which they reject.
0: Oh yeah, they did not like being called OGs. It was like a respect your elders kind of thing. They did not like that. But they're next week. But this week we have a great interview. But before that, I just want to shoot the shit a little bit. I want to sort of relax into this episode.
1: Fire away, baby.
0: Be feel in this moment talk about gossip girl
1: given our rapid decline in communication in the past I would say month Nick I really do look forward to recording every week because it's one of the few times where we even talk (sighs) Annie do you think we need like a coach like a relationship coach
0: therapist I thought you were like really busy
1: yeah it's been kind of a I don't want to say shitty It's not shitty. It's just, it's been like busy. It's overwhelming. Yeah, it's
0: really overwhelming. It's not
1: overwhelming. I deal with the overwhelmingness well. It's just, you do have to pick and choose. Do you want to live in filth or do you want to... She says
0: with a trash bag behind her.
1: Oh my God. Well, I am in the... (laughs) We didn't, we don't have our (laughs) office built out yet. So I do have to record. I used to record at home, but now I don't have time to go home and come back to the office. So... Now I record in our little um, office inventory room where all the influencer stuff gets packed by this (laughs) huge trash bag.
0: (laughs) What's funny about that trash bag is to me, it's very symbolic for what the actual role of a founder is. Like the way I always described it to anyone who asked was like, you're basically like the chief creative officer, the creative director, and also the janitor. Yep. Yep. And accounts payable and accounts receivable. Oh,
1: thank God. I, I don't know. I don't do do that. also the messenger. I have somebody I forward the invoices to and then they pay them.
0: Oh, really? I'm really
1: bad at the more administrate. I'm really bad at the more administrate. I am really bad at the more administr. i can not Why can't it See, I can't even say the word. I'm like allergic to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you know that for the first 10 months of Necessaire's existence, I did all the customer service yeah.
1: inquiries? Yes. We've talked about it on the podcast before.
0: okay. Yeah. That that was intense. Let me, I'll just say that I am very friendly, stern if I need to be, but mostly very friendly to all the customer service people via email. Because guess what? I think we all think that it's like Jeff Bezos, Amazon bots that are all robots. And you can just like say what, if the meaner you are, like the more likely they are to give you what you want. But that's not true.
1: Can I just say, you know who has the worst customer service is American Airlines. But anyway, that's for a different podcast. I'm a Delta diamond now, so.
0: Yeah, I can't get behind Delta. Why?
1: What do you do? Delta feels
0: very red state to me and very like Trumpian. What? Why? And like American feels very Kamala Biden.
1: So I've flown Delta twice in my life and I haven't encountered that. And how
0: are you a diamond medallion? When
1: I said that, I didn't realize that was an actual like level in their like (laughs) customer loyalty program. I just meant like I'm a Delta diamond. Maybe I'm having like shades of sorority life and you know what I realized this week? I had like a major realization and I'm sure a million people have said this. The wing was a sorority for women that were too old to be in sororities. Yeah. Right. You pay your dues, you get the wing sweatshirt. You have a house, you have...
0: Oh my God, it's pink, yeah.
1: You know what I mean? Sorority yeah. houses were not pink, by the way. We The sorority houses were like decorated in like the early 90s and got a new flat screen TV so everyone could watch The Bachelor. But that's pretty much it.
0: <laughs> so was it like puff paint decoration, like rhinestone? No, no, and no, no.
1: Think of like like a like a mom, like a, a upper middle class, like
0: Laura Ashley,
1: almost. Um, my the sorority house that I lived in, it was actually like really a lot cool, of
0: upholstered wingback. Yeah, chairs and yeah, stuff? definitely okay, with cool. floral,
1: beige floral, scrolly kind of <laughs> fabrics. <laughs> yeah, Did i ever
0: tell you that I was in a fraternity.
1: Were you in the Jewish fraternity?
0: I don't like the way you said that. Um, (laughs) yes, I was in ZBT. Is that what it is? ZBT? No. Well, that might be another Jewish one. This was called AEPI. And I went to Johns Hopkins my freshman year. And if anyone listening went to Johns Hopkins, you can probably back me up that if you want to have a social life that involves like socializing and drinking and partying as a freshman after first semester, There's basically one, there was at the time in the early 80s, no, in the mid 2000s, you basically had to join a frat or be so like straight and masculine that like you could kind of rise above it. I obviously was not, but I still had no plan to join a frat. The Jewish fraternity, actually, they knocked on my room door during, I guess, rush week. I don't know they had a list of all the Jewish people and they asked me to like, Come and rush. And there was one brother, yeah, brother, (laughs) who I thought was really cool. Like, long story short, I hooked up with him in New York. So he turned out to be gay.
1: Wait, hold Um, on. Can I ask a personal question? Were you out? No. Oh, okay. Neither was he. Well, yes. I. Okay, I got that from the context clues. No,
0: I didn't come out until my the summer between my junior and senior year of college. Okay. So anyway, they knocked on my door. I thought one of these guys was cool. Flash, if I'm being honest, probably thought he was cute. And I was like, okay, like these kids are like funny, kind of cool Jews from like the tri-state area. I guess like if I'm going to do this, I could do it. And I ended up pledging, rushing and then pledging. I forget the... Is pledging when you already got in?
1: Yeah, you're a pledge. Like, right? Yeah. Or midnight. So I then pledged. I
0: yeah. I forget. Anyway, I pledged and I got in. And I ended up throughout the course of pledging, like really bonding with my pledge class.
1: <laughs> That's good. That's great.
0: Yeah. And I ended up really loving it and like loving the kids in it. And like the brothers, they knew that like they couldn't push me that far, or else I'd just be like, fuck you. So I didn't have to do anything outrageous. So like, for example, like one time we were supposed to like chug two gallons of milk and like do sprints on like the track and like shit like that. And I was like, okay, well, I'll run around the track, but I'm not going to drink the milk. There was something funny and like very interesting, like about going into a new school or new environment. And people it's like very like tribal people classifying themselves as like at Johns Hopkins. There was like the one that was like pink and very like legally blonde Then there was like the like popular party girls who like got drunk and fucked the soccer guys, and they were I forget what they were called. It's probably better that I don't remember their name. Yeah,
1: I mean they get mad. And there was like
0: the nerdy like (laughs) nerdy pretty girls who might be like in acapella and like good at math.
1: I think that that was my story. Um. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you had kind of a, by all accounts, more vanilla experience like kind of a standard it was
0: johns hopkins it was like all yeah
1: um, but the sorority greek life in the south is like pretty dark tribal is a good word for it but i think the really the different groups were split up by income and family and and and, yeah i mean race nick what race it would everybody was white i remember the first day of rush there was a small group of like african-american girls and day two because the rush week is several days Day two, they weren't there. It's just like blindingly obvious, the divides. And, and I feel bad that I was a part of this system. And I'm not saying that these are bad people. I think that's the issue when you like talk about the dark side of things like this. And it's. They feel so strongly that it's part of their identity, which I don't. So maybe that's why I like don't understand like the.
0: Well, I think some people just move beyond it and look at it, look back at it as like an immature thing that they participated in versus it's like people who like are. Like, I feel even worse having, than that, having, though, like, though, Nick, to, to be USC honest. Going USC is like part of their identity. It, if you're really into your college football team, like that's going to be a no for me, dog.
1: Yeah. Imagine going to UT, Nick. The amount of that's fucking burnt no. orange clothing. Nobody looks good in it. No. A redhead. Mm, I don't know. It's a lot of orange that, that you're working with there. It's <laughs> like a lot. Anyway, so, anyway, what,
0: what No, I mean like sororities are horrible. Greek life is trash. Um <laughs> that's
1: Nick. I didn't co-sign that. I'm just
0: No, I'm saying Greek life is trash. And let's get into top stories.
1: Well, Nick, Johnson and Johnson just can't catch a break. <laughs> Mm -mm. This is the third time, I think, in the past month or so that they've had a real issue here. It seems like people are really having an issue with Johnson & Johnson products. This time, it's their opiates. Who would have thought? (laughs) (sighs) Jesus. They are part of a major settlement to basically repair damage done by the opioid epidemic because, of course, they manufacture opioids, prescription opioids. And... There's this settlement happening that they're trying to push through, and a bunch of states in the U.S., their attorney generals are encouraging this to go through, and it's basically allocating $26 billion that several major drug companies would be paying to purportedly repair some of the damage done, which, of course, is impossible. People have died. In fact, I'll get into that in a second. But the issue here is that this is in comparison to the $246 billion settlement that tobacco companies had to pay in 1998. So to me, it's like pennies. And so it was $246 billion. But anyway, and then the worst part about this was around $2.2 billion of that is going to attorney's fees and legal costs. This whole thing, I really dislike the American legal system.
0: It's not enough. But you know what? Can we say one step forward, though? which is that the Biden administration this week ordered insurance companies to cover all costs associated with PrEP. And for those who don't know what PrEP is, it stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis, and it is a pill that you can take daily or even I think now acutely to prevent HIV infection. It's a 99% 99% effective preventative measure that many LGBTQ and sex workers and drug users, anyone who's at risk of contracting HIV, will take. Mm-hmm. And now it's it has to be free for anyone with insurance, including Obamacare.
1: That's good news. Back to the bad news. news. So the opioid settlement announcement comes on the heels of another news story this week, also reported by the New York Times, and that is that the drug overdose death rate in 2020 was up 30%. To quote the article, it was the most drug overdose deaths in a year in the US, the most deaths from opioid overdoses, the most overdose deaths from stimulants. Uh Yeah. The most deaths from a deadly class of synthetic opioids known as fentanyl, which... I keep seeing pop-up in the news because everybody likes to party and do cocaine and there's been fentanyl they,
0: they cut it with yeah that, right? yeah
1: and it's just been this thing around New York you'll see even signs on lamp posts street lamp posts that are warning people about fentanyl and cocaine and to be careful and I mean, it's just crazy stuff. This whole thing is described as huge, historic, unheard of, unprecedented, and a real shame by Daniel Cicerone, who is a professor at Cicerone. Cicerone. Somebody correct me. A professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, who studies heroin markets. And to put this in perspective, annual drug overdose deaths have already eclipsed the peak yearly deaths from car crashes, gun violence or the AIDS epidemic. So everybody take care of yourselves. I know it's been tough.
0: If you also want to watch like an amazing limited documentary series about the opioid epidemic, I recommend The Pharmacist on Netflix. It is wonderfully made and also just like a really interesting sort of way into looking at how the opioid epidemic really affected communities and how it spread, Mm -hmm. really. Moving on. Okay,
1: so also from New York Times, this one's funny. So everybody, just take a deep breath. Sorry about that. So there's a new there's new guidelines in South Korea to, in their mind, prevent more COVID infections, and that is, so for gyms, they're allowed to remain open, but they want to keep everybody's heart rates down, and so treadmills cannot go higher than three point seven miles an hour at the gym, but it, the playlists at the gyms. The songs played can be no faster than 120 beats per minute, and that is roughly the speed of songs like "Call Me Maybe" by Carly Rae Jepsen. Let's hear it for context. Hey, I just made-
0: Honestly, name a better pop song.
1: Well, here's some other ones that are also 120 beats per minute. Born in the USA. Classic. Bad Romance by Lady Gaga. Respect by Aretha Franklin. And something called The New Workout Plan by Kanye West, which...
0: Oh, I love that song. So there you go. I mean, those are hard to jog to, but I guess that's a point because you're only allowed to go 3.7 miles uh, per hour.
1: I guess... what do I usually go around four. That's like my jogging speed.
0: Anything to flatten the curb. Moving on. Sephora's Clean at Sephora program has really not led the way, but made official a lot of the lists around what is and what isn't clean in the beauty industry, in that if you want to qualify for the, quote, Clean at Sephora seal, you have to not use X, like all these products that they have listed on their website. You have to have artificial fragrance below a certain threshold. Same thing with phenoxyethanol. ethanol. They've just added clarity to a very gray area just by being Sephora and the leader in the industry in terms of retail. So that began to become a sort of standard that if you wanted to be clean you would have to adhere to. Now Sephora is expanding that program and they're launching another category which is coming in underneath the Clean at Sephora seal which is called Clean Plus Planet po- <laughs> say this five times fast. Clean Plus Planet Positive. I don't think anyone ever said that out loud at Sephora. And that includes a number of brands already at Sephora, Codaly, Pharmacy, Youth for the People, Tata Harper, Selfless by Hiram, et cetera, et cetera. And to obtain a clean, I can't even say it, to obtain a clean planet positive seal, brands have to meet guidelines like a certain threshold of sustainable sourcing, responsible packaging, environmental giving, a climate commitment. They have to show carbon neutral operations, emissions reductions, et cetera, et cetera. And with packaging, and this is sort of interesting because we talk about this quite a lot, the brands that want to qualify for this program have to show that at least 50% of the packaging of their core assortment will incorporate a minimum of 30% post-consumer recycled content, 30% of 50%. They have to show that they're trying, it seems like at this point. And they also have to show that they're allotting 1% of their profits to environmental causes. So anyway, it's just another another way in which Sephora is trying to create some guidelines around what it means to be clean, what it means to be sustainable. It's not perfect, but it's a great start. And at least will give a lot of brands something to work towards and to aspire to.
1: Yeah, I'm just glad that the idea of... Better, more quality products, because I hate the word clean includes something beyond just villainizing certain ingredients based on yeah. studies that nobody seems to like take the time to actually look into before making purchase decisions. Okay, I love the brand Guerlain. I think it's like one of those Guerlain. like kind of old school brands that I because the first time I bought a Guerlain product was the coal, and it was from the Daphne. Hazard is that her name on into the yep. gloss she used yep. it in a video and it was like very chic it was the eye coal I don't even know if they make it or sell it anymore but it was basically like a little vial with a stick applicator and so the stick would get covered in like loose black powder very messy and then you would open your eye place it on your water line close your eye gently and then drag the stick out
0: <laughs> it seems like an advanced product
1: no I mean it's like ancient this is what people in the Middle East and Africa true, have true. been doing. because that, That's what it was based off of like traditional eye coal.
0: So interesting. That product is no longer available. The coal kajal eyeliner.
1: Well, if anybody wants to make me an offer, I have too. So yeah, they replaced it with like a stick version or like a yep. eyeliner waxy, you know, a really long conical eyeliner thing, which is fine, but say what you will call me whatever you want. <laughs> I'm really into gestures. And it was something when we were doing Glossier, I would always like All the copywriters and people like working on product. I'd be like, think about the gesture, like the application gesture. How does the design of the packaging inform, like the user, like using the product? So I'm like very much into like the application method and like the actual gesture and like doing that. I think is like a very elegant something about it. It just feels nice. It actually is very painful too. (laughs) You're literally sticking like a plastic stick in your eye. Anyway, speaking of Guerlain, great bronzers. Your friend, hopefully soon to be my friend, Violette. Violette is now the creative director.
0: I mean, like, Violette is killing it. Her brand that she created herself, Violette FR, is going gangbusters. And now she was, like, I think the editorial director of Estee Lauder. And just this week, it was announced that she will be creating makeup for Guerlain. She is succeeding someone who was there for 21 years. So this could be a very long and fruitful and hopefully lucrative gig for violette i don't even know how she has the time to do this she also has a baby she's a self-taught makeup artist she's really an artist
1: i really like her product assortment for her own brand
0: yeah she's she's amazing and so congratulations to violette
1: okay so we have some updates from a new story that we reported on i think at the end of last year which is the ulta stop and shop that are happening in targets which shop thought, and shop what's it called Shop and shop. Shop. Oh, I thought it was like stop and shop. Like you stop, you shop. No,
0: stop and shop is a grocery store. The
1: Tide laundry detergent aisle. Oh, stop and shop is a grocery store. Grocery store. Yeah, grocery grocery store. That one's actually you can say that five times fast. That one's easy. Okay, brands. They announced the brands, and so these will be interesting to see at Targets. Anastasia Beverly Hills, Ariana Grande. Your favorite. I'm guessing that's just her fragrance, right? Bare Minerals, Bumble and Bumble.
0: Another favorite of mine. Clinique
1: and Target. Who would have thought? Mac in Target, patterned by Tracy Ellis Ross.
0: Juvia's Place, Madison.
1: Sunday e. Riley. Murphy. Sunday Riley. The Ordinary. We kind of buried the lead on that one.
0: Yeah. Two faced.
1: Urban Decay. So
0: oh, where to go? A lot
1: more premium beauty at Target.
0: Congratulations. And this starts in August. <laughs> so be prepared to spend all your money at Target now. More money than you even were spending. Your
1: move, Sephora. This
0: is a story that i thought was like maybe genius and maybe like the juicero if you remember like that startup where it nobody like remembers that like startup <laughs> it was the one where <laughs> this uh, is a reference a that you you're
1: trying to make happen time and time again
0: <laughs> but you know what i'm talking about it was like no. when they, this company made a machine where you would put a packet in and it would give you like fresh squeezed quote-unquote like fresh squeezed juice But then like someone on BuzzFeed just like basically took the packets that you were supposed to insert into the machine and just squeezed it with their hand and like it made juice. And like they had raised like 30 million dollars. Anyway, there is a new brand. (laughs) Nick,
1: I just Googled it ephemeral tattoo wait hold on can we talk about juicera for one second because i didn't realize how ridiculous this was they raised 120 million dollars to start this
0: brand to squeeze juice guys to put that in perspective machine
1: i raised 3 million to start mine and that's like a lot that's insane i know good lord all right sorry continue
0: ephemeral tattoo they developed an ink that fades away gradually in about a year. They raised $20 million four months after opening their first studio in Brooklyn. My question, and I guess the idea is like Gen Z, here's my like imagination running wild about what their pitch is. Gen Z has a short attention span and like what they like today is not what they'll like tomorrow. So we've developed an ink that like it's not a long time commitment. They have a seven to eight month wait list of their shop in Brooklyn. My question is so if it fades in about a year is it like slowly just yeah like become, click the link like,
1: that I put in this thing
0: <laughs> there's photos <laughs> there's is there oh yeah
1: yeah so it basically
0: like just looks like a shitty tattoo that goes away
1: it kind of looks like when somebody's getting their tattoo lasered off it's gonna look like that after five months
0: yeah and I also feel like if I don't regret a tattoo a year after I got it I regret it like five years after I got it. I feel like the smarter idea would be to create a tattoo that disappears in five years. One year, I'm, like, still into that feather or, like, symbol for whatever.
1: You know, one of my reoccurring nightmares is getting a tattoo, a large tattoo, and then immediately I wake up, like, you know, when you wake up from a nightmare with your heart racing and you're, like, snapped out of it. Like, time and time again, it's me getting a huge chest piece tattoo, like Kat Von D style, like, in some motif that has nothing to do with my, like, past (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like or like my culture
0: the only person who i really think can pull off a chest tattoo is rihanna
1: yeah but she did it in a cool way she did it like a that's below chest tattoo but yeah i'm so thankful i never got a tattoo because you know what i always say you will never regret not getting a tattoo
0: <laughs> that's true that's true.
1: And I don't, this isn't judgment on people that have tattoos. I think that's great. I actually admire that. I have
0: nine or something, 10.
1: Like, I love that you were so yeah. confident and like you could make that decision. I would immediately regret it.
0: Do you want to know something about my tattoos? What? Not one of them tells a story.
1: <laughs> I actually have one tattoo that I got just, I got it with my fake ID when I was 15.
0: Is it a star?
1: No, right. it's like a true religion horseshoe. Really? Yeah, because I'm from Texas. Where and is I, it? Um, Lower back? No, it's on like my bikini lines. So very few people have seen it. Oh, <laughs> Just kidding. So many people have seen it. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, and by Tell the me. way, I was like laying there on the table. We were about to go in and I was like, could I get it like turquoise? <laughs> so it's a <laughs> it's a green. Okay. Anyway.
0: Oh, by the way, I'm listening to this podcast that I just discovered, but it's hysterical with Bowen and Yang and Matt Rogers called Los Culturistas. And they called their podcast listeners readers too. So I like was like, oh, and they've been doing their podcast for like four years. So I was like, okay, oh, well, that's interesting. Like that's well, when did
1: they start using the term readers? That's what I would like to know.
0: I think it's like a it's an old trope of theirs. Anyway, what explain to the listeners, okay, who Simi Hayes are, okay, and what face lace knockoff controversy, absolutely. Is.
1: So. This is something that I'm personally interested in as a brand founder and as someone that has worked at a brand that has been knocked off, has been accused of knocking other people off. And just the knockoff game, I just find very interesting. And I don't think anybody really does it with bad intentions. I'm just always curious to see people's reactions when they feel like one of their holy grail products has been knocked off by another brand. Okay, back to the news story. Simi Hayes are twins. They are sister twins. They are part of the L.A. children of rich people, but now they're famous influencers because they can afford to live the type of aspirational lifestyle where they don't have to work, but they're always up to something. They look
0: kind of like Bratz dolls.
1: Yeah. So I think the, I mean, again, I hold no judgment, but they do have like the L.A. new face kind of look. And I don't think that they like, deny that. It's It's clear that they've gotten nose jobs and they have, you know, very obvious lip filler. And it's not to say it looks bad. They've it's just constructed
0: new versions of themselves. Of
1: themselves. Right. Exactly. And they are very prolific content creators they are always doing like photo shoots and they are always dressed in an outfit that matches the environment that they're in, that matches their sister's outfits, but they're twins. So they're not exactly the same outfits, but it's all very stylized. They brand themselves as a duo, Simi Hayes. So Simi Hayes, the phrase is referring to the duo of twins. They launched a makeup line and it is basically sticker eyeliner. Lines. So you see, like, the winged eyeliner, the kind of editorialized graphic wings, but Metallic,
0: they are like super pigmented, kind of like top eyeliner or even full eyeliner.
1: Right. And so they've created a line of stickers that you can just like pop on as if it were like strip lashes. And it's just like a sticker that you in the place of eyeliner and I, it looks like they're coming out with other products as part of their makeup line as well. It seems like they're trying to do more like of a, a raver kind of party girl, new age take on what could be in your makeup bag. And it's interesting because I they are one of the few brands that have had such backlash from another brand's community that I've seen in recent history. So there's another brand called Face Lace, started by a makeup artist based in the UK, named Phyllis Cohen. She's like an editorial makeup artist. You know, I think she's kind of like Dick Page era. And she's been making these kind of stick on eye accessories for a while. In fact, as a lot of her fans have pointed out on Simi Hayes' Instagram posts, Simi Hayes, The sisters have actually worn face lace in the past and now they've created their own version, which begs the question, what is a knockoff? These things are not like trademarkable. She has no patent on eye stickers as far as I know. Otherwise, she would be, I think, going after them legally. It's just
0: kind of not cool in her eyes.
1: Well, that's I mean, and I bring this up just as like a starter for a discussion. There's so much like hubbub on the Internet around these perceived knockoffs but then I'm always kind of like where's the line there are legal protections for knockoffs and it's called getting a patent and getting copyrighted and all that but like it's interesting to see the reaction online I think it's partly people are really hungry for the drama people are very loyal they want to see their brand succeed but it's also just like interesting to me that people like really spend their time like being warriors for these brands like you go on Simi Hayes's Instagram and like every single post is just like Nonstop comments about how they purportedly ripped off Face Lace. My take on this is: look, if you're going to get ripped off as a brand, unless it's like egregious and you know somebody's squatting on your trademark in China and like making like actual like knockoffs of your products and selling them on, you know, you kind of have to take it as like a, okay. If I'm going to be leading the charge here, then I need to just keep innovating and doing more stuff, right? Am I crazy?
0: I think. I mean, having not personally been so egregiously ripped off. As someone who comes up with ideas and brands and products, I always say like, if you're good at coming up with ideas, then just come up with more. Idea, you know, like you have to expect yeah. that people who aren't good at coming up with ideas are going to use your ideas. So you just have to keep on going and not really worry about it. I think calling it out is fine, but like you know, harping on it is. Do
1: you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I have to say, like, I'm looking at Phyllis's product assortment, the face lace, and her designs are incredible. They're really editorial, and it's an-
0: yeah, exactly. Like, if I create a mini skirt and someone else comes out with a mini skirt similar to mine, it's like, yeah, because they had an idea of how to change it or improve it or make it differently that makes it different. Do I think it's like the most honorable way to like create a business? Probably not. But I don't know if these people are creative visionaries or they're just like trying to make a
1: buck, readers. Tell us what you think. I think Phyllis is they're like she's already innovated even further than like the little winged eyeliner that Simi Hayes is offering. Yeah, so annoying. guys, I think everybody's winning here. Lastly, I sent you like a juicy kind of tweet which is which is really funny. The doctor kind of who rose to fame because he's the go-to injector of the Kardashian sisters. Or he
0: was at some point. Yeah. Dr. Simon Orion.
1: He congratulated Jeff Bezos on his space flight. And very quickly that was interpreted by Twitter as Jeff Bezos went and got his filler done before (laughs) his space flight. (laughs) Which is funny to think that Jeff Bezos goes to the Kardashians (laughs) cosmetic (laughs) dermatologist. This goes to show
0: filler knows no gender, no color, no creed, no religion.
1: I would never accuse Filler of, <laughs> of being that.
0: discriminating and who it appeals to.
1: I will just say I think that the space flight thing is so disgusting. Oh, I like, think I hate it. I hate it. We
0: you know let's not even we're gonna edit by omission about that. Whatever. And so I think that's all we have for news of the week. Let's just get into our interview. So today's guest is someone who I've been following on Instagram and Twitter for a couple years, and I'm always chuckling to myself at my phone. His name is Louis Pisano, and he is an American who lives in Paris, a real-life Emily in Paris, some might say. He is a writer for Harper's Bazaar and a sort of cultural commentator. He keeps the fashion industry on its toes, is the way I'll put it. I think he has such an incisive tone and ability to kind of cut through the bullshit of the fashion industry while also, like, celebrating and acknowledging the fun stuff, the glamour, the glitz. He just went to Cannes as a guest of Instagram, capital I Instagram, and he looked like he had the best fucking time in the world. He wore some insane looks, which we'll let him talk about. But he's also not afraid to, like, talk a little shit about racism in the industry and... Discrimination and the inequitable treatment of black and brown influencers, which is prevalent, of course, in the United States, but also very much so in Europe. So we wanted to hear from Lewis, just about Lewis. And here's our interview with Lewis Pisano. So when did you get back from Cannes?
2: I got back what's today? Today's Wednesday. I got back Monday night. I was there for two weeks. I was there for the entire festival. I got there the day before the opening of the festival. And then I stayed two days after the closing of the festival. So I was there for 14 days.
0: Yeah, I've been to Cannes and it reminded me of like Las Vegas on the beach. And I can't imagine spending two weeks there. What did you do for two whole weeks?
2: A lot of drinking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no i mean okay listen Cannes is cool when it's like the festival where there's like can lions going on or something like that but can like outside of that i like tend to avoid because it's yeah. a bit i would say the glamour has sort of been stripped away when it's not the festival yeah like it's a cute town but it's not anything amazing when you take away the movie stars and the fashion it's just another it's overpriced tech. beach town yeah.
1: What, Explain what, what, to me, because I've seen I've kept up with Can just seeing like the red carpet looks my entire life. And I've always wondered, okay, if you're not like a Bella Hadid or a chic French actress or like a Weinstein associate, how do you then <laughs> spend two weeks in Can being like glamorous on red carpets what was your story of getting there
2: okay well my story of getting there I think it started last year during Black Lives Matter and I was posting all of this information and things about what was going on and I get this dm from Ava Chen who's like I love you I'm like a secret stalker of you anything you need from me or Instagram, tell me. So I was like, oh, okay. I would like to be verified.
1: <laughs> One ticket to can, please.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, you shoot your shot when you can shoot your shot yes, now. Yes, exactly. That wasn't the main thing. I like x for that like after a week of talking whatever. and whatever. she was like, okay, I want to put you in touch with like my team in New York. And like, you know, the team that handles like Paris and Milan and Europe in general like that. So we just started, like, all talking and communicating about how Instagram could, like, support me, and we started thinking of projects and collabs, and I think from what I was already doing on the platform in terms of commenting on red carpets and stuff, it was, like, a natural sort of progression that I would go to can with Instagram. And actually, I was the only influencer, I hate that word anyways, but they have to term you somehow, and that's what it says on the invoice or whatever I guess <laughs> so basically a little tea I was the only person that got approved with Instagram to go like at the festival because all the other influencers that normally go they leave after the movie and the festival was like really pissed about that, Meaning so they walk the I carpet the only, and then they don't even, they, they don't even sit through the movie? They don't watch or, the movie. They walk the carpet and then they go down the back stairs. Somebody opens like a little thing for them and they go trap door. and jump into a car like outside the Palais.
1: I always wondered about sitting through the movies wearing the outfits that they wear. Like it has to be quite uncomfortable. If I go to the movies, I'm not wearing, I'm not wearing like a, uh, what is the share Pelly? How do you say it? With the boobs Gaparelli. hanging out with them. <laughs> Yeah.
2: No, she, de- okay. Bella, literally, I literally just ran out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I don't think Bella's sitting and watching like a three hour, like Lars von Trier no. movie.
2: <laughs> Bella has things to do. And you know what? I'll give Bella a pass because the amount of serving that Bella does, I will let her. I agree. You know, go home, do her like Dior but- beauty face mask or whatever. And, like, prep for the next red carpet. I I also agree with that.
0: And to crib your terminology, she understood the assignment. Like, Bella's assignment is to wear the most stunning, like, perfect outfit on the red carpet and walk down the goddamn back steps. Like, that is her assignment. And then she's done with work and she's clocked in and she's clocked out. But, like, what you're saying is that if you're there to sort of, like, talk about behind the scenes of the festival and the movies and the actors and the actresses and sort of like more of a commentator, then you can't just like walk
2: out the back door. No, like not at all. And it's very public how you walk out the back door. It's like, you know, you go up and, you know, there's all these like barricades where you're going through and stuff, but it's very obvious. The lifting of the barricade, it makes noise. Everybody's looking at who's going <laughs> down the stairs. And then, you know, there's sort of like a smoking area, like on a terrace on the side of the gra- of the palais. And then you can just see this like line of girls and their dresses just going out of the palais and jumping into cars.
1: You had a skirt, Zizzer, or like a train. I saw the videos, like you had one of I those. I did. Had-
2: that was a designer. That was a designer of that dress, actually. I snuck him onto the red carpet. So you
0: had like a full glam squad? Like it was a full glam situation.
2: I did not have a full glam squad. I was supposed to have a glam squad both days and I did not. And even the first day was a bit of a mess. Basically my glam squad was me, my friends, and like (laughs) the mess of makeup palettes that I've ordered over the years.
0: The makeup was the stylist's own, so to speak.
2: Yeah. So I was basically like, okay, so let's just turn this into like something else. Let's just turn this into not like a fashion moment because I know this is not like giving what like I wanted it to give. Let's just make it an entertainment moment. Let's just go out there and like be the most extra we can be and take up the yeah. most space. And like just the Carrie give.
0: Donovan glasses and the page boy.
2: Bob. Exactly. I was just like, let's give the girl the show that are sitting yeah. in the auditorium that didn't get to watch the red carpet. And there I am on the big screen and they'll just I'll give them a little show. So beyond
0: the spectacle and the fantasy of dressing up, one of the things that I noticed in one of your captions when you're wearing the Gregory Assad is you say, oh, don't mind us, just a couple of black and brown people here to take up space. And so to me, that felt like this is about something more than just like you getting to go to Cannes and like walk a red carpet and be the center of attention and go up the stairs and watch a movie. Like, what did you mean by that caption?
2: I mean, for so long... All I saw was white influencers getting, you know, those coveted invites to can, those sponsorships, you know, getting these like super glamorous moments, like living their fantasy. And I never really saw any Black or brown people in the digital space ever getting to sort of live that. And so I think for me, it was really important to go there and to just really just go all out like with my entire like squad and bring everybody with me and it's just we're all here and you will like look at us because we are like valid just as much as you know the leone hands or the Chiara ferrani if we're here too And especially because, you know, can can be quite strict and archaic with the sort of gendered dress code. And the women have to wear the heels of certain length, of certain height. Wait, really? Wait, can you go
1: into that? I didn't know this. So
2: So basically the dress code is for women, you have to wear evening gown and there's a certain uh, length that your heels have to be. Like there's really a number length. It's really ridiculous. And for men, you have to wear smoking tuxedo bow tie with dress shoes.
0: I remember you have to, after a certain hour, you have to be
2: in formal attire, right? Yeah. For like the evening carpet. Yeah. During the day, people go in like shorts and stuff. And I'm like, okay, live your whatever you think you're living. So there's that. But there's this French DJ, Kitty Smile, who two years ago went on the carpet. He's a queer black man in a dress. And they asked him like, is this a traditional African robe? And he said, no. So they're like, then go change. But someone from the festival basically like, you know, saw that all the photographers, because he's very well known and all the photographers were yelling at him to come on the carpet. And she's like, basically like, from what I read, she was like, I take responsibility if there's any fallout from this. And then he walked the carpet. (laughs) And then what happened with me was we didn't really tell anybody because I had talked to his manager too about this, about how they had just done that moment. And he's like, you know, we didn't tell anybody that he was going to walk the carpet in a gown. And that's where part of the problem was. And so I remember it was the day before I was supposed to leave for Cannes and I got this email reminding me that the attire I should be wearing is a bow tie and a tuxedo and that a lot of other talents had been like denied that Instagram had been taken care of because they weren't wearing a bow tie in a suit. And I was like, okay. So I was like telling my manager, like, okay, now I'm like freaking out because I really don't want to get there. And After get all of this crap and, you know, all of this and have to deal with that. Like, as much as I would enjoy that just for, like, the controversy that I would cause, because we were like, okay, do we have media at the ready? Do we, like, stream it live, you getting right. denied from the red carpet? And I was like, I would like to walk the red carpet and still have that moment. So basically, we didn't tell anybody. Nobody really knew until my festival concierge, like, came and knocked on my hotel room door. To bring you to the carpet. Yeah. And he didn't say anything. He said I looked amazing and that was it. And um, I was like, okay, well, let's see what happens when he actually brings me to the carpet. And nothing happened. But you know, we have a theory that it's because I was wearing wigs and they didn't really want to, like, they Press weren't it. really sure exactly of what was going on.
0: To them, you didn't present as a man wearing a dress, you presented yeah. as non binary or a woman, but they didn't want to ask.
2: Yeah. Probably. They didn't want no more scandals.
0: The irony there is like the French think that a man in a dress is like the funniest thing ever. That's like their of idea course. of comedy is like you right. just put a man in a dress, right? The lowest level
2: of comedy.
1: And I guess like just existing in these environments, your story about going to the red carpet, wearing the outfit that you wanted to wear and not being even sure what would happen when you showed up. Like that has to be a weird limbo to always live in.
2: I mean, it was super, super weird because I was just like, oh my God, we just spent so long getting ready, you know what I mean? And then you're just thinking about also, you don't want to piss anybody off because I do want to go back they did invite me back next year. But, you know, you don't want to... It's a funny balance, off.
0: right? Like, you don't want to yeah. quote-unquote bite the hand that feeds you with the people, especially in the fashion industry, which is all about access and, like, parties. You know, like, I remember going to Paris Fashion Week and, like, getting a ticket to the Givenchy after party was, like, the hardest thing. And you certainly oh wouldn't want to, yeah. like, make a scene there so that you would never get invited back. But at the same time, you're like, fuck you for, like, even making me feel like I need to be... You know, like, the whole fashion industry... The fact that there's rows for a fashion show to me is like all you need to know about the fashion industry. You can literally see the hierarchy right in front of you.
2: Exactly. But I do think that in France, they're a lot better about letting you break rules a bit without being punished, per se. Like in Italy, like I'm blacklisted with so many brands just for like an Instagram story.
0: Where you've called them out on their bullshit.
2: But it's not even, like, calling them out. It could be just, like, I made a joke about something and I'm literally blacklisted. Italian PR is literally, like, the for them, the brand is, like, an extension of themselves. And in France, I can drag a brand, I can drag the designer, and the PR will, feel, will be like, let's go get fucking drunk. You know what I mean? Like, they like literally don't. It's almost
0: like they have nothing to prove so that exactly. they, they, yeah, they, they I, can
2: laugh. I feel like that's very French. You know, they already think they're at the top of the world. Nobody's going to knock them off. And so they're very, like, secure in what they think is right. It may not necessarily be right or good, but nothing anybody says is going to rock their world. Like, my career, when I finally, like, made Paris my permanent spot, it was, like, all sorts of brands reaching out to me and sending me things. And I feel not, like, just tolerated like I was in Milan. I feel, like, very much like everybody is sort of rooting for me here. I feel much more, like, at peace and at home here.
0: I mean, I'm a Jew and the French don't have a great reputation with acceptance and tolerance.
2: I think for me, it's about, of course, Paris and France has enormous problems when it comes to all of that. But I feel like French people are more used to like a multicultural society. Older French people have grown up with it. It's not anything invasive them it's not anything startling to them i feel like france is you know they always do you know this liberty egality whatever and they love freedom of expression here even though all that expression may not be necessarily like good but they're very accepting of people of everybody's i will not say they're accepting of it i say they make room to allow for everyone to have their opinion. If that makes sense. Yeah, that does. Whereas in Italy, it's like, if you're not Italian or white Italian, like, shut up.
0: Right. Italy has always been a little bit behind the rest of Western Europe Mm -hmm. in in many ways. But you're from the U.S., right? Where in the U.S. are you from?
2: I was born in Philadelphia. My dad is from Boston. And then I went to school in Virginia, North Carolina. Where did you go to school? I went to boarding school in Orange, Virginia. And then I went to college in North Carolina in Greenville.
0: And how did you get from the U.S. to decide to make your home base in Europe? Oh, my
2: God. That is a very long and You know what? I'll rephrase,
0: I'll rephrase the question. What were you running away from?
2: <laughs> Americans. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you never have plans on coming back? What?
2: No, I do. I just felt like at that point in my life, I just knew that what I wanted to do in my life, where I wanted to go, just wasn't in the States. Europe was more for me. I wanted something like completely new, different, an adventure.
0: It almost seems like just chatting with you and also following you on social like you kind of like the challenge of being like an American in Paris and American abroad
2: I do I love it I always knew from like a young age I was gonna like you know I used to say something you know I'm gonna like date a royal or I'm gonna like have a castle in the countryside in like France or some crazy shit Like I'm gonna be front row at a couture show but like none of that was like wishful thinking I was like this is going to be my life
0: this was like vision boarding. This was the secret.
2: Yeah. My teachers were always like, ha, 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 you have such a great imagination or whatever. I was like, this is not my imagination. This is going to be my life. Like, I remember I had a friend who was also in the fashion. And he used to bring all the vogues to school. And I said, I'm going to be in Vogue one day. He's like, ha, ha, so funny, hilarious. I was like, no, but like, really, within five years, I'm going to be in Vogue. And it happened.
1: Did you send him a link? Oh, like, I, have definitely, you guys ta- I definitely <laughs> sent
2: him a link. He, know, he didn't respond, but good for him. <laughs> For me, it was never fantasy in my head. It was just like, this is what I'm going to do. And I don't want to say like it's been easy, but it was a lot easier than I thought it would be.
0: To just adapt to life in Europe?
2: Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I did do? Like all of this time that I should have been like studying in school and stuff like that. I was reading Vanity Fair, like the European editions. I was like reading the Vogue. I was looking at the party pictures. I was getting everybody's name in my head so that, you know, the first party I walked into, I'd be like, oh my God, I love that dress you wore to blah, 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 party that I would never add. But, you know, I kind of anadelvied my way <laughs> into Europe.
0: <laughs> so like the other thing that I think is really <laughs> unique about what you do is like you have this really phenomenal, like knowledge of, fashion and of like the history of fashion and of couture and understanding of the kind of capital F fashion, like just sort of like the history of like the fashion industry and just like the trends bigger than just saying like, animal prints are in or whatever you know like your commentary is much more informed by history but also you layer on top of that a lot of like commentary about racism and the choices that either designers make or publicists make about how they're showing their clothes or presenting their brands
1: it's just incredible to me that like your role at a company if you're functioning as pr or anybody that has any sort of role where their job is to make the brand look good Even if their personal values are shit, it's like the health of the company hinges on you operating in a way that is not shady and problematic. But they don't care
2: because at the end of the day, they only care if they get the right white influencers there and the Italian businessmen and aristocratic kind of people. So
0: like on the surface, what you're doing is just like operating within the fashion industry, right? You're trying to like, quote unquote, make it in fashion. Like you're going to fittings, you're finding brand sponsors, you're trying to get to like unlock the next level of fashion, whether it's like the can red carpet or whatever. But like really, it's not about invitations and red carpets and velvet ropes and like all this shit, at least from where I sit, like seeing what you've been doing. It's about something much bigger. And I think that there are probably people who have discounted part of what you do because they assume it's just like, oh, he just wants to get into the party. It's like, no, that's actually not it. Well, what is like sort of the bigger mission?
2: I want my community to have the exact same privileges as all these other white influencers that have gone to make millions and become superstars. Like, I want those bags for me and my community. (laughs) I want to build up the next generation of superstar influencers of color. I was tired of going to events and none of my inner circle were there. Or were invited. I was invited because, like, I had worked in PR and I was in the right parties and things like that. But not everybody can do what I did in the beginning.
0: And not everyone has the, it's a combination of balls and also ambition and thick skin, like there's so many like things that you have to have to be able to like do the shit that you have been doing. I mean, to work in fashion in general, but then obviously to be a person of color in fashion, someone who is non-binary, who doesn't adhere to like whatever sort of traditions that the fashion industry or like the French film industry has tried to uphold. But your sort of presence there is important. Andy and I were talking about Lil Nas X and his like recent performances and just how I as a gay person was like so excited. We have our first gay black pop star, right? And he is unabashed now. And he is doing the same things that like Brittany and Madonna did. And like mm-hmm. Christina and like, he's like having his dirty moment. He's like going to do all that stuff. And like, imagine being the kid at home watching MTV or in this case, Then now, like the little Lewis is probably like not even buying Vogue anymore. They're just like on Instagram. And they're seeing you on a red carpet. That not to completely equate you with little Nas X, but like there's something to be said for representation giving people hope. It gets better such a cheesy term. But like I I, when I see Lil Nas X, like that was my first thought. I was like, this is just so awesome. No, it was so powerful. And I felt the same way with what you were doing. I was like, I see what he's doing. It's not for your ego. Or it might be for your ego, but it's also for something like a, a greater good. Am I besides blowing smoke up your ass? Am I <laughs> am I projecting like bullshit onto you?
2: No, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. That's how I felt during the entire festival. Is I'm here and I'm just gonna do the absolute most. I don't care if I'm being. In bad taste or obnoxious or annoying. I'm gonna just do it while I'm here.
0: Because that's what everyone is doing there, right? So it's like you like why can't like you should be getting drunk and IG storying like pictures of Timothy Chalamet <laughs> because that's what all the white influencers like that is the party, right? And so I love what you're doing. We can follow you on Twitter you can follow at Lewis via Roma. And we <laughs> me can on
2: Instagram and then
0: Lewis Pisano on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for chatting with us.
2: Thank you for having me. This is so fun.
1: Nick? Yes. What time is it?
0: It's time for product of the
1: week. Do you want to go first or do you want me to?
0: Yeah, I'll go first because mine is is a wild card.
1: No, mine's a wild card, but go ahead. Okay.
0: Readers, or I guess now we have to say listeners, might remember, I think I talked about it on this podcast. I was like searching for underwear that makes your ass look good and I ended up getting these like crazy underwear that have all these like basically like underwire underwear from some random brand. It was like $60 a pair. I bought a pack of three and they're so uncomfortable and don't do anything like they promised that they would. So I threw those out. But I did find I think the most flattering underwear I've ever worn and it is called the Y Brief from a brand from Scandinavia, of course called CDLP and you can buy a set of three for 79 bucks it's expensive underwear but I mean who among us is really replacing their underwear that often like you can invest a little money you wear them every single day they are breathable they're really just like they're cut in a way that like even if you don't have those like V marks which I certainly do not have it will kind of just like allow your torso to look its best. There's like a low waist. They're 95% Lyocell and 5% elastane. So it's all stretchy and comfy and breathable. Your junk, I mean, I sound like fucking Dollar Shave Club. It makes your like bulge look plump and bulgy and there's no tag because who needs a fucking tag in their underwear? I love them. I bought a set of nine. They have all solid colors. There's no branding on them, which I also like. So it just looks like a pair of like Amazon underwear, but you're getting this like really high quality construction. And if you want to just buy one pair, 32 bucks.
1: <laughs> I'm on their website. <laughs> they have some a product called the mini boxer brief. And it's like a side by side of a tiny box with some rolled up boxers inside next to a larger box. I'm like, what is this? The description says our mini boxer brief is a scaled down replica of our signature style for men ages four to 10.
0: I love that.
1: Nick, what? <laughs> what, is, what?
0: I just listen.
1: That is the weirdest like framing of a product I've ever read in my entire I life. Think they're
0: trying Children. to make younger age challenge people feel a little bit more grown up.
1: Uh, they don't want freaking CGDB boxer trunk mini briefs. They want like Spider-Man.
0: Well, just because it's what they want doesn't mean it's what they get. Anyway, leave it to a Swedish brand to create the best briefs I've ever put on my trunk, my carcass. Uh, What do you have? Speaking of carcasses.
1: You know, because I listened to you quite a few links the other night, I tripped and fell down a little rabbit hole on Etsy. I was looking for a crochet bikini and I didn't realize that it's a real industry and Not only is it a real industry, but there is someone that is really pushing the industry forward, I would say expanding the category. And that is an Etsy user called Carsona with a K11. And they make the most (laughs) innovative (laughs) designs when it comes to crocheted bikini wear, tops, bottoms. If you are interested in only covering parts of your body that might be deemed like not Instagram appropriate and you want to just toe the line without going over, this is your guy.
0: No, they're not Instagram appropriate. It's like literally a hole where your vagina goes. It's like a crocheted frame for your vagina. Yeah,
1: that's a good way to say it. So (laughs) the open crotch underwear, can somebody please explain to me? Because Nick, I don't know if you know this, but Rihanna's underwear line, Savage by Fenty or whatever, a lot of their underwear is crotchless, Hmm. which to me, defeats the whole purpose. Like I wear underwear so- anyway. We don't have to get into anatomy lessons, but why crotchless underwear? Why? Is somebody, please, if a reader would write in and like give me a good reason for their existence. Like it's not let sexy. Your,
0: let your thing thing breathe.
1: No, that absolutely not. What do you? what? Then just don't wear underwear. Why? Anyway, it's really upsetting me, but yes, these are crotchless. Some motifs include butterflies, skulls, baseball, like a single baseball made out of crochet with ties that tie around your hip. And then like Nick said, like a frame of like two strands of yarn that will go on either side of your labia. And I'm assuming up your butt to then connect to the strings that have gone around your waist. And my personal favorite... (laughs) And when I say that, I mean, like, the one that I hate the most is the Minions um, version.
0: Disney Minions. <laughs> I assume it's not a actual license from Disney.
1: I don't think that, like, this person would get a license. Any- oh, they have a Yoda.
0: Oh, my God.
1: They have a Yoda mince thong, and it is literally a crocheted sleeve with Yoda's head on the end of it for <sighs> your penis.
0: Okay, well, the only thing I'll say about buying these is you could definitely make a profit if you sold used ones on OnlyFans.
1: This might be the most unhinged thing I've seen on Etsy and I have quite a collection of screenshots of weird (laughs) stuff that (laughs) people on Etsy are doing. Guys, it is so bizarre. Anyway, pricing, they're around $21 for like a crotch frame, $34 for a penis sleeve. Oh, you know what's a really funny one? I might order you this, Nick.
0: What is it? It is
1: a penis sleeve. (laughs) one of those cactuses with like a flower on top
0: the only thing I'll say about that is that I'm still on my journey to get back down to my birth weight and so I don't want it yet
1: well maybe you can hang it like on the frame of your mirror in your bathroom as like encouragement
0: yeah I guess so I could Anyway, you're going to post some links or some photos, I should say, on our Instagram of that brand, which are sure to be flagged by Mark Zuckerberg himself. And I think that's all we have. Eyewitness Beauty is, as always, produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our theme music is by Danny Prezant and our cover art is by Simon Abronowitz.
1: You can follow us on Instagram for visuals of everything we talked about at Eyewitness Beauty you can email us at my name, Annie at eyewitnessbeauty.com or Nick at eyewitnessbeauty.com or hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com, which will just go to me. Do you get those, Nick?
0: (laughs) No, I don't. Nick at eyewitnessbeauty.com, Annie at eyewitnessbeauty.com. We read everything. We see everything. We love you. And we will see you next week. Ciao, Bella.